Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. All right, so I want to I challenge you this morning, all right? Normally, I say open your Bibles to this one place. We're going to get some overachievers, all right, today. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, right? Hold your spot there. Acts chapter 4, hold your spot there. Psalm 19, all right? So New Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, three different spots. Those of you who are in 2020 and you're doing all of this on your phone, good luck as you jump back and forth through there. But Acts 2, Acts 4, and Psalm 19 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if As you're finding your spot there in, in, your, in your Bible this morning, I do want to kind of reemphasize something that was mentioned in our, in our, uh, in our announcements this morning. Uh, we're excited about the fall season, all right? Not only do we, we hope a break from the 100-degree uh, 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 heat with humidity, uh, but in the new schedule. And that's something that we've gotten used to here at Willow Ridge is, is September comes and it's a new season of small groups. It's a new season of, of discovering Willow classes, just all of the different things of what that could look like. And, and so uh, we're, we're pressing forward with that. So as you leave today, uh, you'll notice on a table uh, that looks like this one out front, there's a little sign up. If you're not a part of a small group, we want to encourage you uh, to be a part of one. And, and Pastor Dave would love to talk to you and get you connected into one of those groups, and so you can sign up one through that. If you've been visiting for a while, and I know we've got some of you uh, who during this season of time have started visiting with us, and you want to know what it means to be a member of Willow Ridge Church, we would love to have that conversation with you. You can also sign up for that at that exact same location, and Pastor Dave will be in touch with you. But something new that we're going to be doing going into the fall is we're going to start teaching some classes on different nights of the week here at Willow Ridge. And, And Mike Morgan and Tim Rice, who have been on uh, the global missions team with me, what feels now for an eternity as we've been going through this process together, they're going to be teaching a class on missions. And so I'm excited about the class that they're going to be teaching. And they've got the opportunity for you, whether you want to be here face-to-face with them to go through that class, but also they're going to be doing it online at the same time. And, And what's really neat about the way that we're going to be doing things, like right now, if you're watching with us online, like it's really hard for you to ask me a question right now. You can't. But in the teaching setting of what we're going to do, we're going to provide you that opportunity that you can engage uh, with, with those that are teaching and facilitating this discussions in these classes. And so, like I said, our first one will be a class on missions and really looking forward as Mike and Tim are, are just filled with, with, with a bunch of not only knowledge, but experience of engaging in God's plan for the nations. And so I want to encourage you, uh, you can also sign up for that class on that same piece of paper out in the lobby. So please stop by. And if you're doing all of this virtually, you can, uh, you can email Pastor Dave and he will get you connected. Well, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at a concept or a theme of what does it mean to be a part of the family of God? 
but not only the family of God, but the family of God at Willow Ridge Church, specifically as we, as we look at the vision and mission, but playing it out in the traits of the family. And what we're going to look at over the next several weeks is, is the beautiful understanding as I look out and to see the men and women and children that are here with us today is that there's a lot of differences in this room, right? And we celebrate that. Like, it is a good thing that we are not all identical. We, we, we look different. We talk different. We've, we've come from different parts of the country, or maybe even some of us different parts of the world. We've got different levels of education, and there's beauty within the diversity of the body of Christ that God gives us the, the, the people that we need in order with their gifts and talents to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that. But within the family, there should also be those things that are similar. So if you look at that within, within your family, you've seen that that rings true. My, my dad, for, for instance, if my dad was here and he's visited before, and many of you had, had the opportunity to meet my dad, if you see me and you see my dad, you'll immediately notice there's some differences between the two of us. I really hope he's watching right now online, right? My dad is, he's a, he's a short guy. He's a real short guy. And so when me and my dad are standing there, I can just kind of rest my, my elbow on his shoulder, right? And I pick at him and have fun, and there's a difference between the two of us. But when you really get to know me and my dad, you would find that there's some very similar traits that the two of us have. Different personality, uh, I'm sorry, same personality, same sense of humor, the same way, honestly, maybe sometimes we even conduct ourselves. And as you see those family traits begin to come out. And so what I want us to look at over the next several weeks are what are those common traits that are a part of the family of God. And we want to look at that and how that pertains to us at Willow Ridge Church, but also globally. Like, like we, don't, we don't think sometimes that, that all across the world in, in different cultures and different languages that the work of God is working and moving and, and churches are gathering in, in different ways and doing things differently and singing different songs and, and having different routines to their worship services. But at the very core and the foundation, whether it's in India or South Carolina or in Haiti or in Greece or in North Africa or in New York, like there's this commonality amongst all believers as we portray the traits of the family. And so we've begun to, to really put some words to this for us as a, as a unique body of believers here at Willow Ridge Church last year as we talked about our, our vision and our mission. Our vision, who we are, our mission, and what we do. And what we look at with our vision is that we're one family with one ministry and with one calling. And there's a, there's a oneness, a, a uniqueness to, to this body of believers as we see our partnership with each other in ministry. And it's played out through our mission that we're engaging, equipping, and sending people to make known the truth of the gospel. So with each one of these actions, we're engaging people with the gospel. We're equipping people with the gospel. And we're sending people with the gospel. There's a process of what we're looking for. We want to begin with engaging this summer was a different summer in the life of my family like it was every other family, right? And, and, and I've got, uh, in my family, I have, I have an aunt who had five daughters who started having all the five daughters had lots of kids, right? And this summer seemed like the summer of weddings. 
And not all of us were able to go to all of the weddings because of what's going on. But what we could see and we could celebrate, even though we couldn't be there, was the fact that we saw this engagement, people coming into the family, right? And it's something that we could promote, that we could celebrate, and that we could find joy and happiness in. And it's that for us as the body of believers. As we engage people with the gospel of Christ, we bring them into the family. And then once we get them into the family, right, we've got to do something with them. We've got to do something with each other. And our, and our job, our responsibility, our, our, our calling, our, our ministry of what God has given us is to equip each other. And it's the whole point of, of every small group that we have, right? Our, our, our job of our small groups, our job of our classes uh, from children's ministry, student ministry, and adult ministry is how do we equip one another? How do I equip you and you equip me so that we can go and make known the truth of the gospel? So that as a corporate body together, what we view what we do in here or we view our small group is that when we're done and we say amen and we walk out the door when we're done with our small group and we pray for our request and we go to our separate homes that it's not us leaving it's not if the end of this service is focused in leaving then we've missed it it's in sending it's in sending from our small groups. It's in sending from our worship services. It's in sending from our classes and everything that we have to make known the truth of the gospel. And when we read the book of Acts, which we'll, we're going to look at here in just a second, the book of Acts is about the early formation and the sending of the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we begin to find is there's a lot of the things that they do that we do. There's some certain characteristics as they sought to reach a certain people in a certain point in time that they don't do that we do, or that they would do and we don't. But what I want us to look at over the next several weeks by looking at Acts 2 and looking at Acts 4 is what are those essential things in the early uh, foundation of Scripture and the, the formation of the church? What is it that's done? And then how do we take on those traits of the family? That God's always wrung truth from his people. All the way back to Genesis that we see manifest in Acts, that we see grown throughout the story of history of the church, and that should ring true in our hearts today. So if you've got your Bibles open with me, look at chapter 2 of the book of Acts, starting in verse 42. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that describes the early church. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now flip over to Acts chapter 4, and let's keep reading verse 32. 
going to sound very similar. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." And so these two passages of Scripture are going to be the foundation of what we study as we look at family traits. And what we want to do is we want to take from these passages of Scripture as the early church began to grow, as the early church began to, to form, as it began to multiply, equip, sin, share the gospel, engage people with the gospel, see thousands upon thousands of people walk out of pagan idol worship and walk into a relationship with Jesus. What did that look like there? What was essential to the faith as they played that out in their life? And it's what I want us to look at over the next several weeks. Where we're going to begin today is a battle that the early church would face, and it's a battle that we still face today, and it's the battle of truth. The discussion, the, the conversation, the thought process around what is truth. Now, there's been a, a mindset or an ideology that has existed for thousands of years uh, since sin began, and it's the concept of relativism. And relativism is this, that all facts, all facts, and all truth are relative to the perspective of the observer. And so here's what that means. That there is, in relativism, there is no truth. Instead, there is truth that is perceived by the different individuals who are perceiving the information that is before them. Here's what that means. If you take me and you take my son and you put us in this room and something is shown on the screen, and if at the end of that, we tell you what we saw. Well, let's just say it's a football game. And so everyone leaves, you come back in. And I say, what was played on the screen was a football game. And then I go and sit down. And Grayson comes up and says, what was on the screen was a ballet performance, right? Now, you didn't know, you didn't see, but based off of relativism, you couldn't disagree with either one of us regardless of what was truthfully done. Why? Because my truth is my truth, and his truth is his truth. And he, what he saw through his perspective caused him to say that it is this, and what I saw through my perspective caused me to say that it is this. And it's a very, very dangerous mindset. And it is infiltrating not only religions all over the world, but it is infiltrating Christianity. 
a couple of ways that, that we see this and that we see this in our culture right now, and I just alluded to one of them. There's a phrase that is very popular. I hear pastors use this phrase quite often in concept of promoting relativism, and it is the phrase, my truth. And the concept of my truth is this, that my feelings and my experiences override truth. That how something makes me feel or my past experience will mold and shape what is factually true and cause me to then have a different truth than what is known, right? And it's attack on for the people who have said, no, 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 this is, this is true. And when we begin to wander from that, we begin to open the door to things that begin to pull us from God's standard that we're going to look at, all right? Another way that we are practically seeing this, and we're seeing this grow and evolve in our culture, and I want to begin with saying this, whether you're sitting here with us today or whether you're uh, uh, watching this at home, what I'm about to say has absolutely nothing to do with political views but deals with politics. When I was growing up, uh, we would have dinner. I, I talked about this a, a few weeks ago. And we would typically watch two TV shows. We would watch the Andy Griffith show, right? Anybody else grew up watching the Andy Griffith show? Raise your hand at home if you did too. Right? We would watch it. My kids still, immigration didn't raise your hand. We watch it all the time, right? There we go. Thank you. Um, we, we, we watched the Andy Griffith show. And the Andy Griffith show would go off of the TV, and then the news would come on. And we would watch the news. And there was something phenomenal that happened growing up. And I think it rang true for my generation, for my parents' generation, and my grandparents' generation, and generations before. When the person who was on the news spoke, do you know what they told us? What happened? That was it. Right? This was the temperature, right? This is what happened in this country today. This is what happened on the stock market. This is what happened at a school board meeting. That news of what we would understand are the facts of what is happening in the world around us was the statement of fact. But what we've begun to grow and evolve and move toward as a country, like I said, I could not tell you the political stance of anyone that I knew on the news growing up. We had ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's all we had. We didn't have cable, right? And, and Netflix wasn't the thing, all right? But that's all we had. I couldn't tell you. I had no clue what Walter Conkright felt like politically. I didn't know, right? We just watched the news. But now, from sports to politics to the economy to the environment, the news is reported through the filter of my perspective. And so we're walking through a day in time where society as a whole have said, no, you filter these things through you first and decide how they make you feel. Decide how they make your experience and where we go. And we can talk about it for politics. We can talk about it for the economy. We can talk about it from the environment. But the attack that we really need to be concerned about is the attack on God's word. The attack on what the foundation and every fiber of what we believe rests in. And so for this week one, what I want us to look at and understand is this, is that truth 
is God's word is our standard. It's the family trait that we see in the early church, that God's word is the standard by which we set our lives by. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Very first characteristic that we see. They devoted themselves. The word devoted is the same word that would be used when someone trains for a marathon. All right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I don't know if you've ever trained for a marathon. I haven't, but I've started running. Right? And here's what I know. It's hard, it's difficult, it's not fun, it's painful. And when I look at devoting myself to the teaching of God's word, let me, let me, let me embrace something with you in your heart as we talk about diving into this more. It's hard, okay? It's painful. It's, it's difficult. But it creates a perseverance. And so they devoted themselves. But they devoted themselves to something, to the apostles' teaching. And here's what's really cool about this. This word teaching, is, it means doctrine. What we believe. What God's word says. But the word doctrine isn't just what God's word says. But the word doctrine built in, in, in what the word means, it's what God's words said that is then imparted, that is then applied. A lot like what we talked about last week. That what I gain from God's word, I uh, know it, and then I, I apply it to, to who I am. So they devoted themselves to the process of the apostles' teaching, which was God's word, so that they could apply it to their lives, so that they could live lives that glorified God. And what we see from the very beginning. But then look at Acts 4 as they, as they describe it again. It says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So what were the apostles also doing? They were giving their testimony. All right? And, and, and here's what it means by testimony. Testimony means evidence. Don't say how it makes you feel. Say what the truth is that's being known. And so that when these apostles would go out and they would share their testimony, what they were saying is, here's who Jesus is as I speak about the resurrection of Christ. And in the testimony, so that you know that it is true, hold my life as an example. The power of the evidence of the testimony. So from very early on, it, it, it wasn't Peter and John saying, all right, Jesus is gone now, and I know he had these ways that he was doing, but now here's a better way as we form this committee that we can go through and figure these things out differently. No, it was them saying, no, we're going to continue on holding God's word as the truth and the foundation for what we will do. Not having the New Testament or what's there. Everything coming out of, for us, what is known as the Old Testament, but for them what is known as Scripture. And speaking to, very specifically, the life of Jesus Christ and the biblical foundation of the truth of what is there, of what they are working toward. Now jump to Psalm 19. So what does this mean for us? 
So it's what the church has done, but then what does that look like for us in our day-to-day life? All right, as you turn there, I want to go over three things really quick that, I need, that we need to agree with as, as a body of believers, all right? If you're not a believer and you want to talk about this at a later point in time, let me know. We'll have this discussion. Number one, this book is true, all right? Historically speaking, it is factual and it is accurate, all right? What God said is the way that it played out, and there are both biblical historians and non-biblical historians who will not argue and instead support the historical accuracy of God's Word. It is true. Number two, it's inspired. Here's what we mean by it's inspired. It was spoken by God through His Holy Spirit to faithful individuals that would put it down on paper, all right? So it's this phenomenal work which happened in Scripture and has not happened in this capacity since. God's work has begun and it has ended in God's Word. Nothing to be added to, nothing to be taken from. This book is inspired. The third thing, as believers, and if you're not here yet, you gotta get here, all right? Or there's this huge sin that you're ignoring in your life. God's Word, this book, is authoritative, It is filled with the commands of God, and it instructs us in how to live our life. Now, it doesn't mean that we like everything that it says, but if you're willing to walk away and break from one truth that is in here, then why not walk away from them all? But it's authoritative, meaning it has authority over me. And here's what makes this unique. I counted this week, I was kind of curious. I have in my library or in my office here at the church, uh, I have 334 books in my office. Have I read them all? No, all right? right. (laughs) I haven't. Yes, I've read them all every single week. No, I haven't. 334 books. None of those books, not one, meet that standard. They're all Christian books written by Christian authors who have high level of application in their life, who have high level of education in their life, but none of them fall to the same standard as this does. They're all different. This is the truth. And this is what we live by. And so the psalmist begins to write about God's word. How do we take this and how do we apply this in our life? We're going to start reading in verse 7 and read a little bit and explain as we go. He begins and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord, God's word, it is perfect in reviving the soul. What we begin to understand is that God's word does something in the life of a believer. God's word works to change us. This word, this phrase, reviving the soul, means to literally shake something up, to take something from the way that it was before and move everything around and begin to have friction and and conflict and something that begins to happen and stirs within so that at the end of it, it's not like it was before. It's changed. And so that God's word does the same thing in the life of the believer. So when you sit down, right? So you wake up in the morning and you go downstairs and you grab a bowl of cereal and a cup of coffee and you open up God's word. God's word is working to change you. 
That when you gather your family together at the dinner table and you open it up and you read through God's word together as a family, it's working to change you. That when you're engaged in Bible study with others and you dive in and you share what God's teaching you, it is working to change you. That that's what God's word does. But I didn't feel it. But it doesn't make it less true. Because God's word is working to change us. It is reviving the soul. The psalmist writes, the, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. God's word gives meaning, right? As we dive into scripture every single week, as you sit there in your quiet time, as you begin to wrestle with this, we begin to understand how this life is determined by God to be lived. That God in his word gives us the standard, his standard. And from his standard, you and I find our purpose. God's word gives us the answer that man has searched for for years. It answers the why. Why do I live in the time in which I live? Why am I married to the person that I'm married to? Why do I have the job that I have? Why do I have the education that I have? Why do I have the income that I have? And in this, when we wrestle with and we, when we push aside the things that want to distract us, what we find is God's word gives meaning by explaining his standard and from his standard becomes our purpose. The psalmist continues on in verse 8. And he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The psalmist basically says, like, God's rules are good, and his rules cause you to be excited. They bring joy into your life. Why? Because obedience comes from that. That by being into God's word and the transforming power of what begins to happen as God's Holy Spirit works in the lives of the believers, that God brings to you obedience through change, that he shapes and molds the very fabric of who you are so you are no longer the person who you were before, but you're the new creation that you were in Christ. I'm not different because I got saved at 22 and I'm now just a different guy because I'm 41. I've changed from 22 to 41 because of the transforming work of what God has done. Because trust me, I've met a lot of 41-year-olds who still act like 22-year-olds, right? And they're the same at 81. But it's the transforming power of God. It's what God has done in me, bringing from me obedience. The psalmist continues, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word gives perspective, right? God's word gives perspective so that we see things differently than the way that we saw them before. Go back to your life before you got saved. Go back to your life before you really started digging in to your walk with Christ. And look at how you began to see things differently. Look at how God has taken you and shaped you. And now as a result, the world is different than the world you knew before. How do you see truth? Lies. Lostness. Salvation. Hope. Despair. God changes. And then in verse 9, 
says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. In a different way, God, through his word, gives us understanding. God gives us understanding. God wants you. Here's what it means to be in a relationship with someone. You know them, right? That's, that's at the core of a relationship. I'm not in a relationship with someone who I've never met, with someone who I do not know. I am in relationship with people that I know and who know me. And so we know that God knows us, but the question is, do we know him? And so through God's word, we begin to know him. And and the psalmist writes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. We could talk for 30 minutes about what this is. I won't, but here's what this means, all right? Right reverence to a holy God. That as I stand before him, I am caught in awe because of who he is. And then as the psalmist finishes this section, he says, and the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He says they're perfect. And focus in on verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. You see, for, for the believer that's diving in, that is growing, that is pleading with God to to take him or her and change them and transform them, what God's word begins to be in their life is more valuable than anything else. More valuable than our jobs. More valuable than our lives. More valuable than our bank accounts. More valuable than our homes. More valuable than our families. Because of the standard of what's there. And then from that comes so much more. I love the picture of honey. Because you know what honey does? Honey makes everything sweeter, right? We, I love honey. We love honey. I'll go at our house and get a big teaspoon of honey and just eat the honey. I love it. And what I like to do with honey is when we get fruit sometimes, that, that's a little sour. It's not quite where it should be. I like to take that fruit and take, that, take the honey and put the honey over the fruit. And as I began to eat the fruit, the fruit is no longer sour like it was before. Because my perspective of it has changed through what the honey has done. And when we see what God's word does, that the truth of it begins to change the perspective of the individual. That we see everything through the goodness and the sweetness of God. So it's like honey, more valuable than gold. Jesus in John chapter five tells a story. And I wanna ask you this question in in closing. I wanna ask you this question. What do you desire? What is most important? When you go to God's word, why do you go to God's word? Jesus in John chapter 5, he's there with the scribes and the Pharisees, the experts of the law. And you know what makes them experts of the law? Not degrees that they had obtained. What made them experts of the law was their ability to memorize Not memorize some of the scripture, but to memorize all of the Old Testament. 
So Jesus is in a room in John chapter 5 with the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus begins to say, this is who I am. I'm the Messiah. Jesus begins to say, I am God's son. And as you could guess, the scribes and the Pharisees, if you know the narrative of Scripture, right, they're the ones that that are Jesus' enemies, that, that are out to get him. And so there begins to be conflict. And Jesus says to them, he's like, here's your problem. You know Scripture, but you don't know me. He looks at a group of individuals that have memorized it, but have missed it. Because when they came to God's word, they came to it with selfish desires. When they came to God's word, they came with it for them to be glorified. And Jesus says, and in doing so, you missed it. You missed when you read through Leviticus and and you read the law, that it pointed to the fact that you couldn't, but I can. You, you, You missed it when you read the story of David and Goliath, and, and you thought it was just about your king, but what it's really about is me because, because I'm the king. You, you really missed it when you read about Moses leading the people out of Egypt, and you thought it was an event that happened in history. But what I'm about to do is I'm about to, the power of the cross, I'm about to set my people free for all of eternity. You've missed it. You've missed it. And my fear is that gathered in here or sitting at home is a group of us who come here and because of our own selfish desires and ambitions, we miss it. Because the law of the Lord points us to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much or for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you that your law is perfect and it is good. We thank you that it is truth. Not a truth, but truth. A truth that we can build our life on. A truth that we can grow from. A truth that we can proclaim A truth that brings people into a saving relationship and knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that as we're gathered here today, different men and women and children from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different feelings, different experiences, Lord, that I pray that we can all find our hope, peace, in your word. Lord, may we approach your word for what it is. Not trying to bend it and shape it to make it say what we want to say, but that it points us to you. Jesus, I ask that if anyone is here today that does not know you, that today through the power of your spirit, they'd be made aware that they are a sinner who desperately needs a Savior. Lord, I pray that today they would be broken of their sins. Know that their sins were paid for by the work of the cross and that just as you walked out of the tomb, that they too can walk in newness of life 
to know you and to be known by you. Word for all of us who do know you. May today be the day that we press forward. May today be the day where we are devoted to the teaching of your word. Maybe today be the day that we are more committed to the testimony of the power of the resurrection. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. If you want to talk to somebody about a relationship with Christ, I'll be out back here in the hallway again. Would love to talk with you. Would love to pray with you. But if you find yourself here today as a believer of Jesus Christ, we're in a moment, we're going to stand. Leslie's going to lead us. And I pray what you sing from is in the testimony of the saved life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that you leave here today being sent to make known the power of the gospel. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.